0: Before I jump into uh, how do we invite Christ into the doldrums and the mundane parts of our lives, which everybody's got stories to tell about what mundane doldrums look like. Um, I just wanted to point out that on your table is a card with my name on it, and what that's for is that I am launching, um, at this point I plan on it being a monthly e-newsletter that's just really, it's a Titus 2 sort of thing. I just want to share with other people what God has been teaching me in his word, what I've been writing about in terms of how do we connect biblical truth with stuff that's going on in the culture, So in the past I've written on everything from what's a biblical look at Twilight to um, parenting things and mothering little men from Mars. Some of you heard me talk about that. And um, since I'm always writing stuff, I would love to make that available to you and let you know what's going on. So if you would put your name and email on that card that has my name on it in pink, um, I'll pick it up later. And I would love to be able to share my heart with you that way. So, um, how is it that we invite Jesus into these doldrums of our day? What does that look like? And what I'm hoping to do this morning is share with you a different way to look at how we do life, as well as giving you some very practical tools about what, how, to, how to change the way that we think and react to the doldrums. First of all... Let's think about the way, let's change the way we think about work. In this case, it's the work of a homemaker and a mother, Um, but all of these things actually apply to any kind of work, whether you're managing a hedge fund, or you're a professional party planner, or you're president of the United States, or you're doing the world's most important work, which is raising children for God and populating the world and the church for the next generation. So here's the problem we have. Most of us have this problem because it's kind of endemic in the culture. We have this, this idea that there's two parts of our lives. There's the God part and then there's everything else. And we split our lives into these two sections. So the holy things we do, we would put in the God category, in the God circle. So that would look like praying and reading Bible stories to our children and maybe inviting somebody on a play date so you could share your faith with her or going to church, maybe even coming to building blocks, although we might want to put coming to building blocks is like absolutely essential for mental health. You know, maybe that really goes in the other category. And it's so easy to put everything else in the everything else box. So this would be making beds, making dinner, changing diapers, right? Making love with your husband, Yeah, it, we know it's a task. At this stage in your life, it often is it's a task rather than, oh, my gosh, I cannot wait. Those days will come back. Okay, um, so we've got this concept that there's the Sunday part of our life, and then there's the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right? And we split them into two very disparate parts, and we don't have, one of them doesn't have anything to do with the other. I would suggest to you that is a faulty way of looking at life because what God says is that He owns everything. He made us for Himself. And He wants us to see all of life as His. And so there's one reality, and there's one big circle, and everything goes into that one circle of having to do with God, and he wants to be part of everything we do. There is no such thing as spiritual stuff and secular stuff any more than we can say, now let's talk about the difference between spiritual colors and worldly colors. Blue and green are spiritual. Worldly is pink. Now that's silly. We would never try to divide colors into sacred and spiritual, um, or excuse me, sacred and secular. But we do that with life. We we wouldn't do that with music. We wouldn't say, okay, anything written in the key of C or G is very spiritual and sacred. But if it's in the key of D or F, forget it. That's a worldly thing. We wouldn't say that. There's just one reality. And this is how God wants us to see our lives, that no matter what we do, whether we're reading Bible stories to our kids, or that we turn around and two minutes later we're changing a poopy diaper, it's all, God is is in it and and he, he wants to wrap his arms around all of that. I think it's really helpful to look at the way we do life if we erase those wrong lines to say some of this is about God and the rest of it is just about my life and we say God it's all yours there's this another way that we make a mistake of thinking about work and that includes the kind of work that we do at home and lots of people have this mistake in the way that they they think about their um, their regular work not just mommy work is making a split between the temporal that it, which is related to time and time on earth and the eternal so we have this this dichotomy between the two, and we say the things of that are eternal are really important. And that would be the God things, you know, the praying and reading our Bible and going to church and sharing our faith with our neighbor. But the things that are temporal, the things that are going to we're going to do today and we're going to have to do them again tomorrow because... The laundry has to be done again tomorrow, and the dishes have to be washed again tomorrow, and the faces need to be washed again tomorrow, and the bottoms need to be washed again next hour. And on all of those are over on this side. And it's so easy to say, God only cares about the eternal, because this is what's going to last forever and it's the only thing that matters. But this temporal stuff, the everyday things that we do with our lives, that's really not important because, um, you know, the only thing that God cares about is the spiritual things. And what I would suggest to you is that's a crazy dichotomy as well because if we were to say, which one of these is more important than the other, that would be like saying, okay, mommies, what is more important? The nine months that a baby spends inside of you or the time after birth outside of the womb? Which one's more important? Like, well how to try to do either one of them without the other. It doesn't work. You need the temporal thing, you need the nine months in the womb before you get to the outside of birth. In the same way, we live on earth. We live in time. God created us to live inside of time. And so all the stuff that we do, the the changing diapers and making dinner and picking up the blocks for the 47th time, This morning, all of these things are part of the temporal world that God has put us in, and all of these things are what are it's getting us ready for the eternal part that happens after after death, when we're in heaven and in the kingdom and all that good stuff. But we don't we don't learn how to do this important eternal stuff without learning to be faithful in the small temporal things. So, um, give me some examples. At this point um, of things that you've heard maybe in your own head or in somebody else's come out of somebody else's mouth that would we could that we could develop this, this strong differentiation between the temporal or in the, the eternal between the God stuff and the rest of life what are some of the, the things that that you think of would go on a list of important spiritual eternal things? That I'm saying is no more important than the other stuff. But let's, let's talk about that a little bit. Quiet, time. Quiet times. Excellent. Time in the Word. And of course, it needs to be before what? 6.30 a.m. in order to count, right? <laughs> I would just like to say, this is one of my privileges as a Titus 2 mom, is that God knows when your best time is. He wants our best. At 6.30 in the morning is generally not the best time for a lot of people. It may be for some of you that came out of the womb awake at 5 a.m. And that's awesome, that's great. I have no understanding what that's like, but I—that's wonderful. But if your best time is 3 in the afternoon or 7 o'clock at night or just before you go to bed, Give the Lord that time. There, you don't get more brownie points from God for cutting for for fitting into a box that you think He is expecting of you. What else goes in the eternal, important spiritual um, dichotomies? What's that? Evangelizing. Evangelizing. Okay, sharing your faith. Absolutely. Loving your husband. Loving your husband good point (laughs) that is eternally important isn't it by the way your husband and your children are God's chosen instruments to do great things in your life now I'm talking the difference between emery boards that kind of get rid of a hangnail and um power hedge trimmers (laughs) you know some of God uses our family members to do great things in shaping us into the image of Jesus so loving our husbands especially when God's been using them as a instrument in our lives is a very important thing well let's talk about some of the other things that we think are uh, just the temporal the ones that don't matter because they're just secular and temporal what's that Grocery shopping. Thank you. Yes. Laundry. Laundry. Cleaning. Cleaning. (laughs) Dusting. Yes. Email. Email. Good thinking, which gets a lot harder when you've been deleted from somebody's phone. Bless your heart. but (laughs) But this being watermarked, notice how. She took, she took ownership of it and apologized and was very open about it, and of course, received a whole lot of grace in the process because that's what we do here. So, What else is on that category of things that we think of as just that God has nothing to do with, but He really does? Bath time. Bath time. <laughs> and then what happens after the water goes out? Yeah, then we have to clean the bathtub. So much fun. Anybody, anything else?
1: Who? I'm sorry? Poop, all the poop. Poop,
0: poop poop. Poop and vomit, yes. (laughs) It's all part of, of the whole big picture. And God says, don't think of that as unimportant secular temporal stuff that I'm not paying attention to. What the Lord is saying is, I see it all, it's all important, and I want you to invite me into it. Um... Someone has pointed out that in Ephesians 2.10, Scripture says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we we would walk in them. And one of the things that I have found helpful is to realize that those good works that God created us for are the mundane parts of our day. One blogger wrote this recently. Simply defined, good works, are those things God commands us to do in faith for his glory. So what high and lofty missions does God have planned for me? It might not be what you have in mind. I was chiseling gum off my couch last week (laughs) and then spent some time scraping unidentifiable gook off my floor when it occurred to me that this is the good work that God had prepared for me to do. Jesus died for me to do this. Say what? What about bringing meals to new moms or packing everything up and moving to unknown parts of the world to share Christ with people who've never heard? What about leading Bible studies or adopting orphans and caring for the elderly? Aren't those good works? Yes, absolutely, those are great things that God has planned for some of us. But so is vacuuming up piles of Cheerios from the car, ironing shirts, cooking meals for picky eaters, Pulling weeds, organizing our home, scraping dried toothpaste off of bathroom mirrors, disciplining children, and going on dates with our husbands, all with an eye toward God's glory. God commands us to be faithful and fruitful wherever he has called us. I love that when, God, when Scripture tells us that he, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works. And it's so, so easy to think, oh, those good works are something high and mighty and spiritual and eternally important without understanding that cleaning gunk off your kitchen floor is eternally important. We are being faithful to the task that God has put in our, on our to-do list today and i would suggest to you that while we may make our to, our own to-do lists of what we want to accomplish before the end of the day god has a way of crashing into our reality and redefining our to-do lists and whatever he interrupts our day with, whether it's spilled milk or a kid getting diarrhea and you were totally not planning on that sort of thing, all those those ways that God has of interrupting our to-do list are our new to-do list. And if we see it that way, that because he is Lord and he has the right to interrupt our lives any way he wants, then it can change the way that we deal with what he does to our to-do list. And instead of saying, what are you doing, God? I was going to do all these really good and important things. I was going to have my house completely cleaned up before my husband came home. What were you thinking? And the Lord says, just wanted to make sure that you understood that one of us is God and the other is not. And that would be me. And so just go with the flow, sweetheart. It's going to be okay. One of the things that I have found hugely important in inviting Jesus into the doldrums, of particularly the stuff that I don't want to do, speaking of which, let me hit the pause button there. What are some of the things that came up at your tables before we started of your most unfavorite um, household task? Laundry? Floors? Unloading the dishwasher. What's that? Showers, Showers and bathtubs. Showers and bathtubs? Clean, the toilet. Clean the toilet. Ironing. Ironing. Yeah, all such delightful things. Well. Keep those in mind, and particularly your most personal, unfavorite task. When we look at what, um, we listen to what Ephesians 6, 5-8 through 8 says, this is in the message. Servants, respectfully obey your earthly masters, but always with an eye to obeying the real master, Christ. Don't just do what you have to do to get by, but work heartily as Christ's servants doing what God wants you to do. And work with a smile on your face, always keeping in mind that no matter who happens to be giving the orders, you're really serving God. Good work will get you good pay from the Master, regardless of whether you are slave or free. The bottom line to remember is that no matter what it is that we're doing, ultimately we are not just doing it for our families. We are doing it to serve God, to meet our family's needs, He is meeting our family's needs through us. He is creating order out of chaos through us. He is creating a beautiful, peaceful, restful haven in our homes through us. And if we think of it in terms of working for him as opposed to doing it for these people, these little people never say, Mommy, thank you so much. I appreciate you, Mommy. I love what you do for me and all the times that I never see you. you," They're not going to say those things. Just as you've discovered by this point, no child has ever thanked you for how much pain you experienced in labor right? No child is ever going to give you more brownie points for hurting as opposed to not hurting. Nobody's ever going to give you brownie points for the type of birth that you experienced. So um, if we're expecting to get a payoff from our children, that's usually not going to happen. I will tell you, though, my children are now almost 32 and just turned 30. And um, and the the Mother's Day cards and the birthday notes and that sort of thing with such awareness and sensitivity of what they now see and they appreciate. Um, I don't remember all the days when nobody said thank you, but I'm getting it now, which is a real blessing, and I just want to throw out that little portion of hope to you. Um, I also want to tell you about something that happened one day. long time ago, I was at my um, in-law's house, and there was going to be a party. Um, and I went into the bathroom to clean the bathroom, which had not been cleaned in a very long time. And I was, we don't live in that area, so I'm, I'm a visitor, and I'm in their home cleaning their body dirt out of their bathtub, And the longer I worked at it, the the matter I got. Because it wasn't just a matter of, yuck, I'm cleaning somebody else's dirty bathtub. I knew that, A, nobody would notice that I had done that. But I know that if somebody's in your house and the shower curtain is closed, they're going to peek. They just do. I know that. I'm not going to tell you how I know that, but I do know that. So I went in and I cleaned the bathtub, right? And I knew that they, they would not notice that I had done it. And if they had noticed, they would never say thank you because in that family, nobody says thank you ever. Actually, I have never heard those words out of a parent's mouth ever in the 37 years. I've known them. My husband has never heard it in the 58 years. He knows knows them. So, not only am I cleaning this bathtub that's disgusting, but then I'm also realizing that nobody's going to appreciate it. Nobody's going to thank me for it. And it just kept getting me madder and madder. And I'll tell you, I had a lot of energy for cleaning that bathtub. And the Lord broke into my little pity party. Because, I mean, ladies, I I had my own chips and dip. I was in a soul-blown pity party. He broke into my pity party and he said, I see you. And I appreciate what you're doing. Clean the bathtub for me. And I just absolutely slammed the brakes on this full-blown temper tantrum I was having. And suddenly I realized that if I could clean the bathtub for the Lord of the universe who saw everything I did and told me he appreciated it, I had a completely new reason to do things. I had a completely new perspective on doing the really gross, disgusting things. I remembered that when um, several years later we were still using cloth diapers. And, you know, I've got the poopy diaper in the the toilet and I'm smooshing it around and I'm trying to get as much of the poop off. And, you know, and I am too crazy to slip on rubber gloves I just washed my hands a lot after that you know and I'm thinking my hands are in the toilet and I've got poop all over everything and suddenly I remembered my heavenly father is watching me and he says I see you and I appreciate what you're doing your son won't say thank you your husband doesn't even know you're doing it right now he's not going to say I appreciate it but I see you and I appreciate it and it really changes the way we look at the tasks of what we have to do if we know that our God sees us and he appreciates it. The second thing that I want to share with you, besides changing the way we think about our work and the stuff we do during the day, is to invite Jesus into all the aspects of our day, one moment at a time whenever we think about it. In John 15, the Lord Jesus said, Apart from me, you can do nothing. And the reality is that, of course, there are lots of things we can do leaving him completely out of the picture. Um, What he's talking about is, you can't do anything of any value, of any lasting value, of any ultimate meaning without me. So invite me into the process. And so that's part of... What the Christian life is about is opening ourselves up and yielding to Jesus and asking Him to do these things through us. When I used to teach calligraphy, um, back when I had more physical energy to do that, I would be... I would be in the first or second week of teaching people to handle a pen and ink, and they're trying to make their muscles learn all these new skills that they hadn't had to learn anything new like that since kindergarten, and it was very frustrating. And I said, how many of you would like it if I made it possible for you to say, look, I am a master calligrapher. I've been doing this for decades. Um, How would you like it if you could just surrender to me and I could get inside of your body, and I would take my understanding and my ability and my skills, and I could just kind of slip my arm and my hand inside of your body. And if you would just relax, then I would use your hand to grasp the pen and dip it into the ink and make the A the way I just showed you, and you can't make it look like that. How would you like it if you could just relax and let me do this, learn this new calligraphy through you? And I went, yeah! That would be awesome. That would be so cool to just sit back and let you do it through us. That would be great. How do we do that? I said, sorry, no can do. But the good news is I just described to you what Christianity is, what biblical Christianity is, which is Christ in us living his life through us. And all we have to do is relax and surrender and yield to him, open up to him scripture tells us in um, Ephesians 6.10 be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might this is talking about doing the things that we do in his power in his strength, in his energy Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through him who strengthens me it's his strength coming into us and doing those things especially the things we don't want to or the things that we are so tired of doing And then Colossians 1.11 talks us about us being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. And the whole idea of inviting Jesus into our days is not so that he could be on the outside going, you missed a spot, because that's not the kind of God he is. He looks at all the things we got right. But also we can open up ourselves to him and let him change the diapers through us let him cook the meals through us let him do the laundry through us let him empty the dishwasher through us we can yield to him and say lord jesus would you do this whatever it is fill in the blank do this through me there are so many things ways that we can do this when i remember and i try to do this as a habit uh, on the way here, Lord Jesus, would you drive this car through me? I guarantee you, I am a lot more gracious a driver when Jesus is the one driving through me, sure, come on in. Wait, I'll just wave them in. Um, Oh, the second car, come on in. It's okay. Those people behind me, they can live with it. But you, just come on in. And um, instead of zooming into the next lane, because, oh my gosh, I need to get off here, it's like, um, let's be aware, use our signal indicators. Jesus is a much better driver than I am. Um, When I am open to him driving through me, it really makes a difference i am as i mentioned i'm a calligrapher um I, I almost always remember when i sit down and i take out the pen and when i dip it into the ink i just say lord jesus you address these envelopes through me when i go home this afternoon i'm going to be inscribing a guest book for exxon mobile lord jesus you inscribe this and please help me not to make any mistake in this because these are really expensive guest books um, and Lord while you're at it this person's name that I'm writing would you bless them today and would you just, just drop an awareness that they are loved onto them there's so many things that we can do to invite Jesus into it to let, bring his strength his light his life his energy his patience the fruit of His Spirit, into us. And it's all about yielding to Him. I was sharing this with a Mops group several years ago. And I said, you know, the difference between doing things in our own strength and doing things in Christ's strength is a matter of the, of, of the will. We just It's like flipping a mental switch. And when we're going and doing and blowing, and uh, we suddenly realize, I'm doing this in my own strength, and God has no part of it. All we have to do is stop and say, I want to repent of doing things in my own strength, in my own flesh, and Lord, I want to do it in your strength, in your spirit, by your power. And I suggested that the girls just draw a line in the carpet with their toe or their heel or whatever, literally to make a line and then step over the line. And that was kind of mentally their way of moving from the flesh into the spirit and saying, Jesus, you do this through me. And I said, the reality is the way we live our lives, we have to continually remember that we are being called on to do things in his strength throughout the day. This is not a one-size-fits-all, first thing in the morning, or I did it when I became a Christian 47 years ago and so I never need to do it again. This is a moment-by-moment, trustful dependence on Christ. Next month I came back and this one girl says, you know how you told us about drawing those lines in the house? And I said, yeah. She goes, there are lines in every room of my house. They're all over the place. But every, she said, I, I didn't want to vacuum for a while because they were all reminders of all those decisions that I had made to step from the flesh into the spirit and to trust Jesus to do this through me. And those lines in the carpet until I vacuumed them they were kind of reflected in the peace in my house because now it was my kids were being loved on by Jesus through their mommy. My husband was being loved by Jesus through his wife. My family was receiving meals that were cooked by Jesus through my hands. And there was this beauty and power and peace that came with trusting him to do this through me. Another blogger was writing on practicing the presence of God, You know, inviting Jesus into things. She writes, One day, I found myself intensely craving the Lord's presence, but I did not have quiet time to devote to soaking in his presence. So, while I was getting my kids ready for school, my spirit cried out to God, How can I be with you if I am busy with my kids? That's what I heard him say. But I am raising your kids with you. From that point on, she writes, my daily practice of being in God's presence is simply inviting him to join me in everything I do. Ladies, I can't tell you what an incredibly powerful Powerful tool for Christian living it is to invite Jesus to join us, and no matter what we're doing, because suddenly it elevates the doldrums of folding the laundry again. If we've invited Jesus into the process, we are cooperating with Him to do this holy work that is pleasing to Him because He is part of it. Now, there are lots of things we could talk about these tasks. That we can invite Jesus into, and I strongly invite you to do that. Just do it as an experiment, see what happens. But there's another category of moments in life where you can invite Jesus in that have nothing to do with the things that you're doing, it have everything to do with how you're feeling. I'm mentoring several women um, who are struggling with various kinds of Wounds on their soul from childhood and from their early um, early adulthood, and they have just really, really big struggles. And I can't tell you how many times I will get a text from someone that says, "I am panicky. I am so afraid. i just I'm so anxious. My heart is beating. And help." And I, what I always invite her to ask her to do is to invite Jesus into her anxiety invite Jesus into your panic invite Jesus into your fear he loves to be invited into people's upy feelings he loves to be invited when we're feeling really grumpy and not at all happy about what it is we have to do as crazy as it sounds to say Jesus I'm feeling really grumpy here Would you come join me in my grumpiness? Would you just join me here? I want to invite you into my crummy feelings. He does not say, Ooh, clean yourself up before I come near you. That's... That's a legalistic, judgmental, condemning God, and that's not the kind we have. We have a grace-filled God who says, let me into the garbage pail of your life. That's what happened when Jesus left heaven and he came to earth and he became one of us. The incarnation of him becoming human beings... It's about him entering the garbage pail of fallen, broken human existence. He loves to be invited into our brokenness and into our fallenness. So that he can lift us up and hold us and lift our eyes to something beyond right now how we're feeling. We can invite him into our fear. We can invite him into our impatience we can invite him into um, feeling I've had it I'm done where do I turn in my mother card if we invite him into those moments he brings his peace with him he brings joy with him Um, and you may not experience some sort of flash of happiness because God is not Tinkerbell and he doesn't boink us on the head with a magic wand but he will bring us himself and he will bring us his light so I, I strongly want to encourage you um, to invite Jesus into the doldrums, especially the stuff you most don't want to do, the, the bad feelings you have, the bad stuff you need to do. So at this point, before I go on to my next point, I would love to hear some feedback from you in terms of, is there anything that comes to mind of Something that you could do to invite Jesus into that would never occur to you to invite him into unless some crazy person came and suggested it to you. Does anything immediately come to mind? Because the Lord is saying, how about this? In the, of, oh, in the middle of the child's temper tantrum? That is a great idea. What do you suppose would happen if we invited him into the middle of our temper tantrum? Which is exactly what I did with the bathtub. (laughs) And what I love is, I was having a temper tantrum, and he didn't say, shame on you, get your act together. He said, I see you, I see what you're doing, and I appreciate it. I didn't deserve that kind of grace. How wonderful that we can invite him into our temper tantrums as well, but... That's a great idea. In the middle of a temper tantrum, Jesus. By the way, it does not work to say, Jesus, this is your child. You handle it. (laughs) I am walking away. I am walking outside. You handle it. He he wants to do it through us. (laughs) Anything else come to mind? Insecurity. Insecurity. Oh, that's a good one what do you suppose Jesus does if we were invite to invite him into our insecurity what we're doing is we're inviting him into the lie that we're believing because reality is we are secure he loves us he made us for himself his grace is like a gigantic safety net underneath of us um, and this is how this connects to the insecurity thing when they were building the Golden Gate Bridge, Um, I think 25 men plunged to their death. Um, And I don't know if you've ever been to San Francisco, but the Golden Gate Bridge is very far above the surface of the water. And to fall into the water from that height is like landing on concrete. It's so hard. And people were dying. Finally, someone got the idea to erect a gigantic safety net under the place where they were constructing the bridge. At that point, no, no longer did um, nobody die. There were 10 men fell, but they were caught by the net. And all of the people working on the bridge suddenly felt more secure because they knew that a mistake would not be deadly. It would not cost them their lives. Not only did no more people die, but there was a a spike in the amount of work done. They were able to be so much more productive because they were secure. They knew that if they made a mistake, the net would catch them. And that's what God's grace is like. It's this gigantic net underneath us. I like to think of it as a net in the shape of his hands. And if we fall, if we forget what is true and we are saying, I feel so insecure, I'm not good enough, This is everything's falling apart. And the reality is he's saying, I love you. I've got you. If you fall, I will catch you. There is nothing you can do that is bigger than my love and my care for you. And so, what happens with insecurity is that we're believing the lie. And if we believe, if we invite Jesus into our insecurity, he brings truth and the light. I love you. You are secure in my love. He brings truth that banishes the darkness of the lies that we believe. So glad you brought that up. Any other things that you could invite Jesus into? Stress.
1: stress.
0: It's true. And you know, our bodies don't know the difference between good stress and bad stress. So they just feel bad. But that's a great thing to invite him into. He understands what it feels like. Do you think Jesus ever experienced stress? How do we know? Gethsemane. How did the stress manifest in Jesus' life? Yeah, he sweated blood. He was—he has known a level of stress unlike anything any, any of us ever can or ever will. Right. So he maintained himself without going crazy. Exploding is through that level of stress. So when we invite him into our stress, what he brings with him is um, the reassurance that I carried myself through my period of stress and I will carry you through your stress as well. It's that safety net underneath of us. So glad you brought that up. Any others? Say that again. When your husband gets home at the end of the day, and then what? (laughs) Everything blows up and you want to turn the kids over to him, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's a really good time to invite Jesus (laughs) into the process. (laughs) Because I have a talk that I do called Trash Your Marriage and Eight Easy Steps and it's a tongue-in-cheek way of building your marriage by talking about the things that we can do wrong and one of the points that I make is that your kids don't care if you've brushed your teeth or brushed your hair or put on you know, perfume when your husband comes home so why should he? Not a good move for building oneness and appreciation in marriage Okay, let me share with you the third thought I have about um, bringing Jesus into the doldrums of our day. And that is to get in the habit of developing an attitude of gratitude from within the moment. One of my favorite things to do is no matter where I am sitting or standing in the moment, whether I'm in the car, sitting in a restaurant, sitting in a room like this, at home, is, okay... Right where I am right now, looking at the things that I'm surrounded with, how many thank yous can I come up with that I'm um, being reminded of simply by what I can see? Um, So, for example, just from where I am right now. Lord, thank you for this microphone and a PA system so that I don't have to yell to, the back, to be heard in the back of the room and then blow up my voice. Lord, thank you that there is a chair for me to sit on um, because I'm a polio survivor. I don't do well standing for more than about three minutes at a time. Lord, thank you for the people who were thoughtful enough to give me a podium and a chair to sit on. And thank you, Lord, for the whiteboard that Ian uh, made sure was brought in here, even though I didn't realize until 8 o'clock this morning that I wanted to use it. And, Lord, thank you that there's electricity in this room, both for the PA system and for the lights for me to see my notes. And thank you for all the chairs in this room so that people don't have to stand, um, because in a month we're going to be going back to Belarus, in the uh, former Soviet Union Um, to teach worldview and apologetics and some basic theology things to a Bible college and a seminary and then go out into a rural rural church um, and bring the the richness of what God has brought to us here in Dallas take it over to Belarus and in that area um, there's a lot of standing everybody always stands when they pray people always stand when God's word is read Um, in many churches people will stand for the entire service. And I'm thinking, oh, that so would not work for me. (laughs) So would not work for me. We have chairs. We're comfortable. We've got round tables. Lord, thank you for round tables, which I think were invented by women. Because um, men bond shoulder to shoulder, and they like to be next to each other, looking in the same direction, not having to look at each other. And we like to look in each other's faces. We want to see each other's facial expressions. We want to connect eyeball to eyeball. That's how we do it as women and so round tables are the best to do that so thank you for round tables in this room lord rather than long tables like at hogwarts school so um no matter where i'm at i can just start kicking off the things that i am thankful for well i'll tell you what it can really change your attitude if in the midst of the doldrums and the the stuff that we do throughout the day you stop and you start saying, how many things can I think of to thank God for in this? So, example one. Oh, my kid is poopy again. Instead of commenting and, and focusing on, this stinks so bad. And I hate poop. And I think I'm allergic to it. God, God didn't should give me an allergy to poop? And I should find somebody else to change these diapers. We can stop and say, Lord... Thank you that my baby's digestive system works. Thank you that when I give her food in her mouth, it comes out the other end. Because she would be really, really in bad shape if her digestive system didn't work. Her poop is evidence that she is a healthy baby. Lord, thank you that I have clean diapers to change her into. Lord, thank you that I can trash the dirty ones and take them outside and I don't have to smell them for the rest of the day. Lord, thank you that I get to change this child's diaper instead of someone else when it's me who should be doing it. Thank you that it's not a hospital nurse changing my child's diaper. Thank you that it's not a daycare worker because I have to work and I don't have any choice and I want to be with my child, but I can't. And so somebody else is changing her diaper when I ought to be the one to do it. And God, thank you that I get to be the one raising my children instead of some other woman or my husband being alone to do it. Thank you that I get to be this child's mother. By the time you get to the end of those thank yous, you're long past, oh, this diaper smells disgusting. And it changes your attitude. Can you see how quickly that can work? Let me just tell you, where I, one of the ways that I really learned that was um, when my first child came along and he was super, super active. He's one of these rough-and-tumble, constantly moving ch- children. And when Kurt would, as soon as Kurt learned to stand, he immediately started to walk. And as soon as he learned to walk, he learned that he could walk away from me. And as soon as he learned he could walk away from me, immediately he learned he could run away from me. And his mommy has a bad leg and he can't even walk that well, much less walk fast. So he had a lot of power. That's one of the ways in which I know there are guardian angels. Uh, It's because of how my children were protected when I couldn't run after them. But I remember... One day when Kurt was sprinting far away from me as a toddler and I suddenly flashed back to an image that I had in my memory from a few years before. Our first baby was born at 28 weeks. She was very premature. And 24 hours after she was born, she had a massive cerebral hemorrhage and she lived the other eight days of her life in an incubator at Baylor NICU, unable to move anything because she was in a coma. The only time I held my baby, she was like an, a, a living doll. She was just all you know floppy because she was in a coma. And I could hold her, but she couldn't respond to me at all. She didn't even know I was there as far as I knew. And so I this I flashed back on this image of Rebecca in the NICU incubator unable to move and here I am looking at Kurt who's not able to only able to move but he's running and he's healthy and he's strong and he's just this quintessential super active little boy and i just said oh god thank you so much that my son can run and he's healthy and he's strong i am so grateful for this child who is able to run away from me and i'm grateful for the angels too but suddenly comparing him to you know what i had then to what i had lost oh man it changed everything and so comparing things the goodness of what we have we have this embarrassment of riches and many of the things that we complain about and we are so we can get so caught up in the stuff I have to do is because of how richly God has blessed us for example example number two I walked into the kitchen, and it is messy with dishes again. It was just a few hours ago that I completely cleaned this thing up, and the cabinets were clear, and they were sparkling, and now all these dishes are in the sink and on the counter, and there's stuff on the stove, and junk the leftover Cheerios and the pots and pans, and we can get all caught up in how messy our kitchen is, or we can stop and say, Lord, thank you that I have a kitchen. There are so many people that all they have is a fire outside in a single cooking pot. And they if they have anything, it's one room. And some of them, all they have is a cardboard lean-to that's horrible when they get wet. I not only have a house, I have a room that's just for cooking. What an amazing example of your goodness to me. Lord, I'm looking at all these dishes. Every single one of them is a blessing to me. I have all these dishes. Thank you. There are so many people who have none. They eat out of the pot with their fingers or maybe a spoon. They don't even have a dish to put it in. Lord, thank you for my dishwasher. I can stick this stuff in the dishwasher and add soap and close the door and it gets clean all by itself. Thank you. By the way, when my sons were in high school and our dishwasher broke, I purposely did not replace it for several years. I wanted them to really, really appreciate dishwashers because it was their responsibility to wash the dishes. And he's like, why can't we get a dishwasher? Well, we don't have the money for one thing, but the other part that I wasn't going to tell him was, because I'm not done teaching you yet. (laughs) Another thank you. Lord, thank you for the food you have provided that went in those dishes when so many are going hungry today. A few months ago, we had a friend, a dear friend, Isaac Weigar from Liberia, Um, who was graduating from Dallas Seminary. And Isaac was here at Watermark for two years. He was um, down at the seminary. And he knew he was going to go back to Liberia and West Africa to bring the amazing education that he'd gotten here in Dallas back to the people of Liberia. And... That country had been torn apart by civil war for like I think it was 15 years. He watched people literally get killed in front of him when when the rebels would line people up and just at random go down the line and just shoot somebody in the head. And the guy in front of Isaac got shot and crumpled to the ground and three people beyond him got shot and crumpled to the ground and he was spared. That kind of horror that he experienced. And just before he just about the time he graduated, we got a chance to spend the weekend with him and his wife, who came over from Africa to see his graduation and um, I fixed dinner and we gathered together to pray and I will never forget isaac 's prayer, which was, "Lord, you are so good to us to give us not only food but this really good food that Sue has fixed." And there are so many people, Lord, who will not eat today. And we know some of them. And you, Lord, are so good that we're going to eat three times today. So many people in my family, in Liberia, my friends, if they're doing really well, they'll get one meal. We're going to eat three times today, Lord. We just pray your grace on those that don't have the food that we are going to enjoy right now. I just... I was so blown away by his grateful heart. And Ray said, because he's gone to Liberia about four different times to, to teach the school teachers there how to think biblically, which is what we do here in Dallas. And Sue said, Ray, uh, Ray said, Sue, every time I have ever heard Isaac pray over a meal, he has always remembered those who don't have food. Every single time. And I thought, how many times have I dug into my meal and never even thanked the Lord for what I had? I was able to take it for granted. Because not only was there plenty with this meal, I have a refrigerator full and I have a pantry full and I've got a a menu of all the stuff that I'm going to fix over the next week. Because God has been so good to us. And then I've got these dishes that prove how good He is. And I got to cook. And we got to eat. And there are leftovers in the refrigerator. When I look at these dirty dishes, they scream to me, God is so good to us. And it's not that He's not good to people who aren't eating. But we are so incredibly blessed. And Lord, I'm not going to complain about these dishes when they are such an evidence of your goodness and your grace, your generosity to us. Okay, now it's your turn. Let's do some thinking about the kinds of thank yous that you can flip to with certain situations that you're probably going to face soon, like the first one. Toys are strewn everywhere. This room is filled with toys. How do you turn those into thank yous? Go. Thank you that we have toys to play with. Thank you that we have toys to play with. A room to to keep them in. Yeah. Children to play with them. Yes. Thank you, that our children have what? Hands. Hands. Yes. Did, you re, did any of you see Nick, I can't say his last name, Boychick, when he came to Watermark? No arms, no legs. Kind of makes us look at our own bodies and our children's bodies different, doesn't it? Great point. What else? Uh, Is there toy? Like, the like kids Oh, Yes. Clean toys, the kids in Africa play with trash. That's exactly right. That's amazing. They who love our <gasps> Those toys represent people who love our children. That's right. They did not magically pull into existence, they were all given. Great point. I'm sorry? Oh, that we get to be there for the mess, to witness it. Absolutely. Great point. Okay, let's try another one. I just washed clothes, and this basket is full again. This dirty clothes basket is filled with dirty clothes again. Thank you, Lord, that... I have a washing washer and dryer. Amen. And what else? I think more, than an to wear. more than one outfit to wear.
1: <sighs>
0: we can turn around quickly. Washer, dryer, done. Washer, dryer, done. That's right. That's right. Thank you, Lord, that I do not have to use a washboard. (laughs) Yes. Or clip these to the dryer, uh, to the clothesline outside. That's right. By the way, um, Ray and I were privileged to go to Burundi on a watermark trip several years ago. And in the back of the hotel where we were staying. um, And by the way, when I say hotel, you may think, Hilton, I want you to think Motel 2. Okay. <laughs> but we did have electricity most of the time, and um, we did have hot water most of the time, and that, and we had screens on the window, which was a huge, huge step up from what a lot of other people have experienced. But I noticed behind the hotel there was a clothesline where they, were, where they had clipped um, towels. And they were just as stiff as cardboard because, you know, we don't appreciate what a difference dryers make for the softness of clothes until you don't have it. And I'm just like, oh, oh, Lord, thank you for my dryer. Thank you for my dryer. Thank you for my dryer. (laughs) Ah. That's a great point. The dirt represents food that they got to eat, that they spilled on them, or that they got dirty playing outside. There you go. Great point. This kind of exercise is exceptionally helpful for turning our attitude around uber quickly and the thing is there are so many more things to thank God for than what we're aware of but the more we get in the habit of thanking him for these things that are part of us and around us that are reminders of God's goodness it opens our eyes more and more and more and you start getting to the point where I couldn't even write it all down if you know if I didn't stop at some point there would be no end to this But when you start in the beginning, it's really easy not to think that way because we're so used to just going and blowing and taking things for granted. Um, Honestly, this is one of the most important spiritual disciplines that I know of, is to get in the habit of no matter where we are, what we're dealing with, thanking God for all the little bits and pieces. Let's think about what happens when you leave this place and you go get in the car and you're on the road, on the way home. What are the things that you can give thanks for? The car itself, right? Why? I'm sorry? You've got transportation. That's it. And a lot of people don't have cars. What else is part of that car? the roads paved roads holy smokes what a blessing you know it's real easy for us to take that for granted isn't it that's one of the benefits of leaving the United States and going elsewhere to realize how cushy we have it great point traffic lights are part of that as well what else can you thank God for No flat tires. Excellent. Honestly, one of the best things we can do is to um, think about all the things that are going right. Like when was the last time you thanked God? Okay, am I hurting right now? Am I in pain? No. Thank you for that. Do I have vision? I can see. Thank you for that. Thank you for my hearing. And there are things that have to do with even the cars. Thank you that there's gas in the car. Thank you that I have a credit card to go buy more. Thank you that the other drivers almost always respect red lights and stop signs. And I don't have to get have somebody plow into me. There's so many things that we can do that change our perspective, that open us up to God's goodness, that allow us to invite not only Jesus into our moments, but allow us to... Um, experience of gratefulness and an awareness that we live and move and have our being, as scripture says, um in, in God's goodness and that he's just scooped us into his arms and everything we do, everything we have is all a gift from him. That all of the temporal and eternal parts of life are one reality. The sacred and the secular that there's, there isn't any split there. There's one holy truth, one holy reality of um, what it means to, to be God's kid. Um, I'd like to close in a prayer for y'all. Um, just as, as a way of, of kicking off the next stage of this, which is to practice what we've been talking about. Father, I thank you for the magnificent gift you've given us, first of all, of the Lord Jesus, um, for the indwelling Holy Spirit, that in your goodness and in your love, you, the Son, and the Spirit before the foundations of the world, thought of us, invited us into the circle of your love, and that's why we're here. And Lord, we pray that we would reciprocate by developing an awareness that you love us, that you want to be part of every second of every day, that you want us to see you as helping us raise our children, that you want us to see you loving our husbands through us, That you want us to be grateful for your unimaginable blessings and the displays of your goodness and your generosity to us. Lord, I pray that, first of all, for my sisters that they would see that there is no difference between the sacred and the secular, between the temporal and eternal, that there's all one reality and you are Lord of it all. I pray that that they would become practiced at inviting Jesus into their moments, their uncomfortable moments as well as the stuff that they don't want to do for divine assistance and for him to live his life through us. I pray for an attitude of gratitude to grow and explode so that that would result in them experiencing such a level of joy that they had no idea was possible. Lord, I pray for my sisters that you would open the eyes of their understanding and open their ears of their hearts to hear you and see you loving them in so many ways throughout the day. In Jesus' name, Amen.
1: Hey, guys, we're so uh, are you, I just wanted to we're so fortunate to have Sue here today. I want to give you guys an opportunity to ask some questions. and if Sue will take a few minutes to answer them, um I'm gonna go around with the microphone so we can get these recorded. So just raise your hand if you have any questions. Sue's also an expert in um oh, do we have one?
0: So I find that my struggle isn't as much like, oh, it's a dirty house. It's, all, it's more so
1: like, oh, I'm frustrated because I want to bless my husband by having a clean house and I just can't get to it right there. So I feel like it gets convoluted when it's more about serving others or about like, you know, I I, just, I have no time right now and I can't go serve somebody else. You know, and that I feel like that's more of the struggle. It's not so for my satisfaction, but for the under the guise of, of service and blessing others so I don't
0: know if you had any wisdom on that mm-hmm. one of um, the most helpful scriptures in the New, New Testament is in uh, I think it's in first Corinthians where it says that God wants us to give not according to what we don't have but according to what we have and that includes time and includes energy and includes money um, and when we we think we ought to be giving, in areas that we don't have the ability to, because God hasn't given us the time, the energy, or the money, then we need to let that go. As that that's not for ours, that's not for us to give at that point. And so, learning to, when it's time to let go of that which is not for us, I think, is wisdom. Um, however, let me add a P.S. to that: wanting to have a clean house for your husband is totally legitimate. The ability to keep it at the level of what's in your head is the, the, the difference is frustration. But I find, I find it's helpful to say, honey, I want you to know that if I had my druthers, the house would look like this XYZ. This is what I would love to do for you. I would love to bless you and honor you with the home beautiful type home. Thank you for. Um, receiving what I am able to give, and but just to be able to tell him, I wish I could do something different. You know, um, when the kids are older, you will have that time, Lord willing, uh, to do that. But expressing to him what I what you wish you could do can be helpful. So, as mommy of a three year old, we are really struggling with that thankful heart and developing an attitude of gratitude in a three year old. Um, so I think that what you've said here, just hearing us out loud, being thankful for everything we can list will be really helpful. Do you have any other hints for that age and trying to develop that sense of gratefulness when they just want to say, no, I'm not thanking God for anything today? Um, Well, one of the things that is helpful to do is to keep in mind that the attitude is a feeling Um, with children. It's a feeling that follows the actions so first we train them with the actions the attitude the feelings of gratefulness come later and that's true for us as well god tells us to give thanks in all things and he also tells us in ephesians give thanks for all things and he never once says Feel grateful. Feel thankful. I tell you what, um, part of my testimony is I had to learn how to say, God, thank you for letting me have polio. And he knew I was not feeling grateful and I have never felt grateful for it. But I realize it has been his gift to me. He allowed it to happen. And I love that we have the grace to be able to give thanks without feeling thankful. When we get in the habit of giving thanks is a way of life, the grateful feelings, just follow because it's so easy to feel grateful for like 99% of what God does allow across our, our path. so I wouldn't worry too much about them you know you said it but you didn't mean it okay yeah they're still being trained it, they're probably going to be 21 before they feel it but that's fine they're still in
1: process anything else I just thank you Sue so much that was such a good reminder Okay, go ahead. Thank you. Um, to invite Jesus in to the, all the details of our lives. And I just, it, it, I, would, I challenge each one of us here to do that this week. And if you have some stories about how just being so intentional about inviting Jesus in has made a difference, just experiencing his presence, his peace, um, his perspective rather than, your own. We would love to hear those, and we can share them back with Sue again, but you can contact Building Blocks Facebook's page. You can contact us if you go to the website. We would love to hear how that's made a difference. It's just been really challenging for me, and if any of you guys do not have a relationship with Jesus, if you're here today and you'd like to hear more about that, Sue's here, or any of us in with black shirts would love to share with you more just about what that even looks like, so Sue, thank you so much. And thanks, you guys. We have um, until 12 o'clock. So just hang out, relax, get more food, and then you can go pick up your kiddos at 12.